Coming up on the Rami V podcast, we have a split in Denver as the series shifts to Miami. Tied 1-1. How did Miami win game two? What did they do to unlock the Denver offense and really lock up the Denver offense? And how does Denver adjust? What will happen the rest of the series? What happened so far? NBA Finals, we talk about it, all that, and a little bit more coming up next on the Rami V podcast. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours plus you can exchange unlimited text messages and everything you share is completely confidential so i talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything one of the things that i learned in therapy was that join the two million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced better help therapist get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash rami that's my first name that's better help b-e-t-t-e-r H-E-L-P dot com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description, in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami Lavi podcast, episode 153 of the Rami Lavi podcast, presented as always by BetterHelp. Use my name, Rami, R A M I, as you hear at the beginning of every episode. Sometimes I remind you, sometimes I don't. Um, but this episode is going to be an episode where we talk about the NBA Finals, obviously. I was going to come on here after game two, immediately after game two, I should say. Um, but then I got kind of busy. So we'll talk about that a little bit, what happened, what I did yesterday, um, a little bit later on in the episode, but we have a series guys. It's tied one, one, a lot of people wouldn't have expected it to be tied one after two games in Denver. Not me. I said it was going to be tied one, one, one after two games in Denver. Um, not that I'm taking credit for that after game one, I probably would have told you that. No, there's no way that this Miami team can come back and win. But we saw the end of game one, Miami actually put together a nice stretch. So if you're shocked that it's 1-1 right now, I wouldn't be. I still think Denver's the way better team. But look, this is what we've said about Miami all postseason long. And this is what I talked about when they advanced to the finals. At some point, you have to give a team credit for being the team that we always look at as the worst team. This is not the better team. I don't think they're the better team. Yeah, that's right. But they still find a way to be in these games, to be in these series time and time again. And they find a way more often than not in this postseason to win these games. Um, So speaking of winning, this is the first time they lost a game one of a series. As we'll go back, we'll recap from the beginning. This is the first time Miami has lost a game one of a series um, in the playoffs since the playing game, obviously, where they lose the first playing game and then they almost lose the second playing game. They come back and win the second playing game. Since that point, they won game one against Milwaukee in Milwaukee. 
They won game two in New York. They won game one or game one of round two in New York. They won game one of round three against Boston in Boston, obviously, because they took the 3-0 lead in that series. And then the first time they lose game one of a series is in the finals. Now, I thought they were going to win game one. I thought it would have been the opposite. I did say that was going to be split, but I thought it would be the other way around. I did think Miami would come out and win game one and then lose four straight. Um, But they dropped their first game one. And it's mostly due to Denver's offense. It's not like Denver put up a ton of points in the game, but Denver's offense is so efficient and it's the anti-Spolstra defense. Miami, what's so incredible about them is that every guy plays defense. There's no one that you could just hide on defense, right? You could tell me Duncan Robinson, you could tell me Kevin Love, but even those guys who you're quote unquote hiding on defense, those guys are giving effort. There's a difference between not playing defense and not even giving an effort on defense. And that's what really bothers coaches and people who watch the game when there's no effort on defense. Miami, every single guy is going to hustle, is going to play hard, is going to try and give a full effort on defense. But it didn't matter against Miami's against Denver's offense because Denver's offense takes that zone that Miami loves to play and then dissect it because you have the screen and roll. Obviously, the reverse screen and roll goes both ways with Murray and Jokic. It's so funny when you see Jokic handling the ball and Murray setting the screen for him, just the size difference between those two guys. You obviously have Jokic playing in the middle of that zone like we talked about, like we said he was going to do. And then the shooters and the cutters around him, when Michael Porter Jr. is knocking down shots in game one, we'll talk about game two in a second where he was not knocking down shots at all. When he's knocking down shots in game one, it's very easy to say this series is over because there's nothing Miami or any defense could do in the NBA to stop this. Aaron Gordon is getting easy cuts to the basket. And then you just have all these hustle plays for KCP, for you know, Christian Brown, all these guys, Bruce Brown, who's had a great series, um, all these guys who are just making plays around Jokic and Murray. It's centered around the two of them. And it's really, it really is the two of them. I mean, all the love right now, we're talking about Jokic so much. Murray, I mean, what he's done the last few weeks of the playoffs has been exceptional as well. So it's really two guys. And Denver's offense totally controlled the game, totally dominated the game. There was no point that it felt like in that game that Miami could get a big stop when they needed it. On the flip side, Jimmy Butler was really bad in game one. And I hear people talking about injuries, and that's fine. That's not an excuse. This guy has put so many miles on him. It felt like it's all been on him this entire time. He didn't really have one of those hero games against Boston in the Boston series. And maybe the ankle injury that he sustained back all the way back in the New York series is actually affecting him more um, than what people thought. I don't feel bad about it if you're a Knicks fan. It's like, okay, dude. You guys injured half our roster. You know, you tried stepping on Brunson on his ankles a thousand times. Emmanuel quickly got hurt in that series. Talk about Mitchell Robinson also tweaked something in that series. Julius Randle freaking just had surgery. (laughs) This is where Randle just gets me and it just irks me because I want to like the guy. I don't dislike the guy. And we'll get back to the finals in a minute. But I don't dislike Julius Randle. He is so likable. He posts on his Instagram the recovery, right? He shows that he just had this crazy leg surgery. So he was obviously playing through it. Um, And so you want to give him an excuse. You want to be like, okay, that's why he played so poorly in the playoffs. He had this leg surgery. And he posts in the Instagram post like a picture, the, the emoji of the Statue of Liberty. So it's like, New York, I'm getting back. I'm getting stronger, getting better than ever. I'm ready to be back next season. Let's go Knicks. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I still saw you giving effort when you thought you were going to get an easy bucket, and I saw you giving zero effort. So if you're too hurt to give effort on defense, but healthy enough to give effort when you think you're getting two points, if you're too hurt to give effort boxing out on rebounds, if you're too hurt to give effort, I don't know, so many other times throughout the game where he just was dragging his feet, but then when he was going one-on-one on the offensive side, now I'm going to give effort don't play if you can't give effort across the board and don't give effort in the areas where you want to if you're not going to give a good effort in the areas where it's a little bit tougher. That's that's me. I don't know. Um, that's my Julius Randle rant. Um, I'm glad I got it out of the way only like five minutes into the episode because now we get to move on, talk about the NBA Finals. So Jimmy Butler, you know, that's the narrative. It's going to be with him. Is He's a warrior. He's pushing hard. He's hurt, blah, 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 all that stuff. That's That's true. It's good. Um, but he stunk. He hasn't had like, look, he hasn't had to have a takeover game against Boston. It's why many people thought he shouldn't have been the finals or the Eastern Conference finals MVP, right? Because he didn't have to have one of those crazy games and he didn't have it. He hasn't had it in the first two games of this series either. But game one was atrocious. He's really bad. He was he's not looking to score 
And what I've noticed with him is so many times he's driving to the basket. And we'll talk about this when we talk a little bit about game two is he's driving to the basket and he's passing it off. Like just that last little effort that you need, that last little jump that you need to get the shot off around the rim, especially around a guy who's as huge as Nikola Jokic inside and the other huge bodies that Denver has that part. He just can't get to that point right now. Um, and he's kicking it out from, he's collapsing the defense and kicking it out a lot of times, which is still effective, still helping the team in a lot of ways, but it seems like just from a pure shooting perspective, he's not the guy they need him to be right now. If you're Miami, um, then bam though, picks up the slack, right? Bam on a bio on like, this was also just an unbelievable storyline with Jimmy not playing as well. Bam on a bio, picking up the slack for him. He had an incredible game. He had one of the best games we've seen him have all playoffs long. And he really had two games in a row like that. We talked about this so much. We talked about um, how, you know, Bam struggles and has his ups and downs. And he has some games where he just doesn't rebound. I talked about him being one of the keys going to the series, but he's played so well and he's taken advantage. Basically, Jokic is saying, shoot, I'm going to stand back here. I'm going to play defense from all the way back here, the back line. Bam on a bio, you go ahead and shoot. But what Bam's done so well is not only has he shooting, not only is he effective um, shooting the basketball and scoring for the Heat, but he's been facilitating for the Heat. He's been running almost like mini Jokic. He's been running the offense from that free throw line extended area, um, which is what obviously uh, Nikola Jokic does so well for Denver. And that's what Bam's doing so far for um, for Miami. And it's looked really good. That was their whole offense in that game, him running the offense from that spot. Uh, but at the end of the day in game one, it was just too much. Denver is undefeated at home since March, going into game two, obviously. They were undefeated at home since March 30th. They hadn't lost a home playoff game yet, and they dominated. The craziest part was that Jokic was dominating, and this is exactly what Denver wants to do. This is exactly what Nikola Jokic wants to do. He dominated the game without shooting the ball. He had three field goals at the half. Obviously, that doesn't include, you know, where you got fouled and went to the free throw line, but he had three field goals at the half. And what were they up 15 or something like that at the half? Um, he, and not only did he only have three field goals, it's not like he only had three, three field goals because he was having a quiet game. He was dominating. He was the best player on the floor by far. He was creating everything for Denver. He was making everything happen for their offense. Mike Breen talked about it. He's like, Nikola Jokic is doing everything for this team right now. He's in the middle of everything. He's making everything happen. And yet he'd only attempted three shots. That's how incredible this guy is. He doesn't need to be shooting the basketball. In fact, he'd rather not shoot the basketball in order for him to be getting or in order for the Denver offense to be getting their best offense. That's where he'd rather be. He'd rather be playing the facilitator for everyone else. And then when he needs to, he's like, oh, I'll just chuck up this shot. It's something we've never seen. Mike Breen said the craziest thing. He's like, it's crazy. He's he's Moses rebounding. He's magic when it comes to, to to passing. And I forgot who he said. Maybe he said like Larry Bird or something when it comes to scoring. And they all looked at him and they're like, wait a second. Slow down, Mike. But what's so funny is the Nikola Jokic love has been off the charts on ESPN throughout these finals. And it's like, this is the guy that you guys said. You guys said two months ago that we're all racists if we think he's the MVP. Right? You have Kendrick Perkins going on now on ESPN saying, we're not giving Jokic enough credit. It's funny coming from those guys who literally campaigned. They were campaigning. The media on ESPN specifically was campaigning against Jokic for the MVP this whole regular season because they didn't watch Denver on a nightly basis. And now after two weeks of watching them in the conference finals and the NBA finals on a nightly basis, like, oh, we get it. Yeah. Anyone who's paying attention for, to basketball for the last four years understands that this is what's happening, what's been happening with this guy, and why he's so incredible and why it's the greatest story in the NBA right now, why he's the most dominant player. And this is what I said. I said he's the most dominant offensive player I've ever seen because you can't stop him. And it's not just him. You can't stop the team around him when he's doing his thing. When he's at his best, everyone else is better. That That's truly unbelievable. It's not about him getting his points, him getting his numbers. It's about the team scoring a bucket on every single possession. And that's what seems to be happening um, with them. By the way, side note about ESPN, since we're on the ESPN topic, I hate that they do this. And maybe TNT does this also. I just notice it more on ESPN. When there's a big moment in the game or like a skerfuffle, something like that. Um, and all of a sudden there's, you know, you get the close up of the players 
all of a sudden the arena noise cuts out. And if there was a big crowd moment and there's an explosion, there's guys freaking out, the crowd's going nuts, all of a sudden it cuts out and it sounds like the broadcasters are in a recording studio. Like silence, like silent background, just the broadcasters talking. Sometimes they don't even talk and you're like, wait, did my sound just cut out? And they do this, I think, because players are swearing at that time. And with those, you know, when you have those moments, you hear that it's captured and you have those close-up cameras, it captures them. I don't know if the cameras and microphones are connected, but a lot of times you have um, them, you, you could hear the players swearing in the background when there's a huge moment, when there's a foul, when there's an argument, when there's a fight, one of those things. ESPN does this constantly throughout the game and it's just so just an, like annoying for as a viewer to listen to. Like when the sound just cuts out entirely, if Mike Breen goes bang, which by the way, how great is Mike Breen? In game two, there were so many big threes hit down the stretch, which this is, I mean, the last few minutes of game two is how basketball should be. There were no stoppages. There were no timeouts. There was no, let's check the whistle. Let's challenge this play. Let's check to see who the basketball was off of for 15 minutes in the final minute and a half. There was none of that. It was just two and a half straight minutes of back and forth raining threes, raining great shots, great offense, great defense. It was the the game had pace. That was the best stretch of the NBA playoffs, in my opinion. And we'll get to game two in a second. But Mike Breen holding it and holding it, realizing this game and Denver's going on a run right now, but Miami's sustaining it. When am I going to hold the bang for? Because he does it once a game, doesn't do it. Sometimes he'll do it in the first half and then again in the second half, but usually holds it for once a game. And him holding it till that Murray three that cut it to what, two or three at the time, it's just per- he's so good he's so awesome so just Mike Breen shout out um but I will say that that thing where they just cut out the sound like that it drives me insane because you'll have a huge moment and then all of a sudden it sounds like the arena silent and speaking of like Mike Breen said the arena was going crazy on TV you couldn't tell um he said it was super loud there so I don't know if they're drowning out crowd noise in general uh I guess Miami will be a real test because we know how loud Miami gets and how into it the fans get down there. So I guess we'll see in game three on Wednesday, um, tomorrow, we'll get to see what it actually sounds like because maybe Denver just wasn't as loud um, of an arena. So that's that's the side note on ESPN. Um, but this was one thing that I talked about because Miami's going to have to win the Jokic off minutes. When Jokic is not on the floor, Miami has to win those minutes. And that's going to be the difference in this series. I said that before the series started. I'm saying it now two games in. In game one, from the start of the second quarter till about the seven-minute mark, uh, that's when Nikola Jokic was off the floor. It's generally how they run their substitution um, is they take him off for the first five minutes about of the second quarter, and then they try and get him some sort of rest at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, in that stretch, that seven-minute stretch, um, or five minute stretch, I should say, it was 11 to 10 Miami. So Miami kept pace, right? But they also allowed Denver to score. So basically, now Denver is down one during that stretch. So minus one in the Jokic off minutes, but they score 10 points. You didn't hold their offense. That's the time that you need to hold their offense. And then in the fourth quarter, Miami again, it's a three minute stretch in the fourth quarter where this was in the middle of the fourth quarter where they, they started Jokic in the, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, which they usually don't do, but they started him on the floor at the beginning of the fourth quarter and then brought him out. Um, basically, they wanted to just put away the game. Then Miami went on a little bit of a run, so they took him out for a stretch for a, a, a rest so that he can come back in for the end of the fourth quarter in case he had to come back in, which he did. So it was a three-minute stretch, and in that stretch, Miami won that three minutes four to two. So yeah, you only you held them to two points. That's exactly you held them to two points in three minutes. That's exactly what you want to do if my, you're Miami. When Jokic is on the is off the floor, you have to hold Denver to a minimum of points during that time. Two points is the perfect amount. That that's great, perfect. You know what the problem is with holding him to two points? Fantastic that you held him to two points, but you only scored four. His presence on defense is also huge, and you got to take advantage. This is what I talked about with Miami. This is why it's such a big deal because Miami goes through these stretches without scoring. And if you can't score when Jokic is off the floor and you can't take advantage of the fact that Denver's offense is going to be slower, then when he gets back on the floor, you know they're scoring every possession anyway. We'll talk about how that changed in game two, but that was huge to notice in game one. You cannot lose the Jokic minutes. So let's see what happened in game two. First of all, we talked about... So Denver takes game one pretty handily, pretty easily. Um, and despite a late stretch from Miami, it seemed like 
this series was going to be dominated start to finish by Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. In fact, going into game two, and this is just tells you how incredible Nikola Jokic is. Nikola Jokic to have a triple-double was boosted on FanDuel to, min- to plus 120. That's with a boost to plus 120. So basically, they're giving you even odds for him to get a triple-double. That's how much it's expected now. And I talked about this all year, but the difference between his triple-doubles and what Westbrook was doing a couple years ago or something like that. Like, what are we talking? Like, it's crazy. Um, this guy, he's not chasing any stats. He's not chasing rebounds. He's doing whatever is needed at any given moment for the team to win. Um, part of what makes him so special. But one of the adjustments that Eric Spolstrom makes going into game two is a guy he didn't play a single minute in game one. You think, he doesn't trust this guy. How could you bring him for game two if he doesn't trust him at all to play a single second in game one? He starts him in game two with Kevin Love. And this is what we talked about. The liberty he has, he's not afraid. But he also, he's smart. He's just such a good coach. He puts the right players in the right spot. So Kevin Love in game two, even though he didn't have huge numbers, he played a big part of this game in game two. Miami gets off to a huge run uh, to start the game. They go up by 11 early. And then again, we talk about the Jokic off minutes. It's the same exact minutes from the 12-minute mark, meaning to start the second quarter till seven minutes remaining in the second quarter. Jokic is off the floor for five minutes. And in that time, Denver goes on a 22-9 run. After being down 11, down three to end the first quarter, they go on a 22-9 run, absolutely dominant. With Jokic off the floor, you can't have that happen if you're Miami. And I'm thinking this is over. If that's what's going to happen, the second he comes back on the floor, it's going to be done. So Jokic has 13 points in the first half. um, And we'll get back to the on-off stuff with Jokic a little bit later. Jokic has 13 points at the half. And he was a minus eight, though, even though Denver was up at the time. I think they were up five or six at the time. I think it was like 57 to 51 um, at halftime. And yet he's a minus eight. Because he struggled. So, or I shouldn't say struggled, but the team wasn't as effective with him on the floor as they were with him off the floor, which is just a problem for Miami because that's not going to happen a lot. And so 13 points, probably shot a little bit more than he wanted to. We talked about it in game one. He only had three field goals at the half and he was so effective. Um, And the adjustment that Miami was making, it was obvious at that point. It was like, okay, we're going to let Nikola Jokic shoot. We want him to shoot more because... This is what I talked about before the series started. Jokic doesn't, he's not a shoot first guy. He's not a shoot second guy. He's not a shoot third guy. He's a guy who wants to pass it, wants to get his teammates involved, wants to be a playmaker, wants to stand, his last stand at the free throw line extended and pass it to everyone else. His last resort is to shoot the basketball. So when you put two on him, he easy find the open man immediately. If they swing in time, if they if they rotate in time, you could keep swinging it till there's going to be someone wide open. Whether it's a layup, whether it's it's a three point or whatever it is, all of a sudden the ball starts moving, everyone starts cutting, and you're done when you start doubling Jokic. But when you play one on one with him, he's just going to go at you and he's going to score on you. He'll score a bunch of points, but the team as a whole is not as good. It's not what he wants to do. By the way, we talk so much about Jokic's offense, and it was talked about so much in um, the game on the broadcast. Obviously, we saw the tip pass that he had where they, they threw it to him, and then he just one-handed tip pass the other way. I mean, stuff is stupid what Nikola Jokic can do on a basketball court. But don't forget his defense. Nikola Jokic is not the best defender in the world. No one's going to tell you that. But what do they do? I talked about in game one, they did the same thing in game two and shout out to Bam Adebayo again, who was able to attack it, but they moved Jokic back. They said, okay, you're just going to be a big man in the middle. You're going to be a rim protector. You don't have to move around. You don't have to run and chase guys on the perimeter, but what's Jokic doing? He's giving an effort the entire time. This is what I talked about earlier with other guys and you know what Miami does so well. Just give an effort. You don't have to be the world's best defender. Everyone talks about, oh, well, Joel Embiid is so much of a better defender than Jokic. That's why. But how many times do you see guys in the NBA who are great players? Luka Doncic was getting MVP votes where he doesn't even care to try on defense. Trey Young doesn't care to try on defense. These guys don't try on defense. So I don't care if you're not as good defensively. 
because you're huge. You're a huge guy, Jokic. So stand in the middle and give your best effort. And that's as effective as anything anyone else can do on a basketball court. So when we talk so much about his offense, it's easy to gloss over his defense, but his defense is just as effective uh, to the Denver Nuggets. Wanted to talk about that in a second. Then his offense. I mean, the dribbling behind the back in transition. What? This guy is seven feet tall and he runs the floor like a point guard. But in that third quarter, they're forcing him to be the scorer. And they're putting Zeller on him, which is just so funny because I forget who it was. I don't even know which talking head it was in the media. who was like, Miami, they got to start Zeller. Zeller, he's got to start on Jokic because he could defend him. That guy could take him one-on-one. I mean, (laughs) the way Nikola Jokic dominated Cody Zeller for the first few minutes of the third quarter, the way he he abused him, it it was wrong. Like... Eric Spolstra knew what he was doing, but it was awful. They were giving Jokic this opportunity to basically say, we want you to score. We want you to dominate. And it's so hard for a guy like Nikola Jokic to turn down that opportunity. You're playing one-on-one against me with this guy? And I saw the memes going around. Of uh, Remember that one game that Zion Williams had, had when he was in high school? And some little white kid who was probably like, five foot three when Zion was already six foot five or six foot six um was like acting all tough and I'm gonna take him I got him and yoke and Zion was kind of like laughing like he felt bad almost but that's how much he dominated that's what it looked like and so Zeller was getting abused by Eric Spolstra but it's just another case of Miami doing what's best for the team right like Cody Zeller I don't care that I'm getting abused right now because if I don't get abused if we let Denver run the offense the way they usually run it, if we let Jokic do what he usually does, then they'll be dominating us even more because he that's what he does. He's so good at finding the open man, finding the cutters. Whereas if all I'm doing is scoring, and we talk about this so many times with Luka, and I keep bringing him up, but we talk about with Luka so many times and James Harden in his prime where he was doing so much one-on-one that at the end of the game when things break down and all of a sudden you need your teammates to make shots and make plays for you, they're not ready because they haven't had to do it all day. So even though you have these big assist numbers because you're passing, kicking it out to threes a lot of times or lobbing it up, the guys aren't involved. The guys aren't moving. They're standing around most of the game. And at the end of the game, you expect them to make a big shot. It's a lot tougher. Jokic was so much better when the whole team around him is involved and moving around. And you saw, I think, what do you have? Only three or four assists in this game. And people talked about how many open shots were missed by Denver. And that's a big talking point that, oh, look, yeah, Denver lost game two, but they missed so many open shots, Jokic would have had way more assists. Not necessarily, because they weren't involved like they were in game one. If they had been involved the way they were in game one, the whole game where they're moving around and they're getting to run off screen and Nikola Jokic is getting doubled and they're getting open shots, then I'd understand that late in the game, they just missed shots. I expect them to hit those shots again. But it was because Jokic was going one-on-one so much and Miami was forcing him to go one-on-one by playing him with Cody Zeller on him and enticing him to just say, hey, here, score every time. Everyone else was kind of lax and maybe you could blame the guys having a worse game, the role players, some of the guys, obviously KCP had some bad fouls, uncharacteristic. Um, But guys like Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, MPJ not hitting their shots in game two maybe you could look at what Miami did and said Miami let them not be involved the whole game and then when Nikola Jokic needed them to hit shots against the zone defense in the fourth quarter they couldn't do it because they weren't prepared to do it um so one of the things I wrote down because the whole game too I'm like all right I'm still thinking that Denver's winning this game Denver's dominating so I'm writing in my notes as if Denver's going to win and I'm like, oh, the Heat are falling in love with the three. Another thing I talked about with, you know, um, with uh, Jimmy Butler, where he he kept kicking it out. Like every time it felt like they had a good layup inside, they're getting they're kicking it out for three. How many times did we see a guy pump fake and get the defender to fly by him and instead of driving into the lane, just sidestep for another three? But Miami's been hitting the threes at such a high clip that are you shocked that they're falling in love with the three? They need the three right now because it's what's kept them in these series. Is. Um, and I want to quickly pull it up because it's exactly what they're doing. Their whole game plan is we're going to just shoot a million threes. So the second you stop shooting those threes, obviously, it's not as effective. Um, let's pull up the box score real quick. Uh, 
and here it is. Miami on the three. They shot 48% from three. 17 for 35 in the game. So you wonder why they're falling in love with the three the whole game as I'm watching and I'm thinking Denver's going to win and I'm saying, wow, they're way too heavily reliant on the three. Well, they're shooting 50% from three, which is like unheard of in a finals game. So of course they're going to shoot. He keeps shooting the threes. And that's what they did. Um, they go on an eight to two run. Miami does to start the first minute and 12 seconds. So Jokic sits to start the fourth quarter as he generally does. And in that time, Miami goes on an eight to two run without Jokic. And this is the first time in a game or in two games, right? Because we talked about this is the fourth time that Jokic has sat. And it's the first time that Miami went on a real run with Jokic off the floor. And it's so important for what Miami wants to do. It's imperative that they do this. And they're going to have to do this more if they want to win this series. But they go on an 8-2 run for the first minute and 12 seconds. Jokic comes right back in. And this is two games in a row now, by the way, where uh, Miami is going on a run to start the fourth quarter with Jimmy Butler on the bench. And the offense looks like it's flowing. It looks like it's moving. The ball's not sticky. And I'm not saying that's because Jimmy Butler's on the bench. I'm not saying it's 100% correlated. Maybe it's an injury thing. Maybe it's guys feeling like he's the superstar. Let's let's give away to him a little bit. I don't know what it is. But it's definitely worth noting that the guy who single-handedly took over games in the first two rounds of the playoffs didn't really do so against Boston. And now although he did it for stretches against Boston. And now in games one and two of the NBA Finals, his team goes on a run without him. They start off 14-2. to two. Miami does start off a 14-2 to two run to start the fourth quarter. Duncan Robinson, by the way, had 10 points the whole game. I think he had all 10 of his points in that stretch as the 14-2 to two run. He was awesome. Hits a couple of huge threes. You wonder why they keep putting him out there. And they talked about the Tyler Hero said, there was a quote that came out, that Tyler Hero doesn't want to come in and mess up the rhythm that Miami has had. And it's almost like, yeah, that makes sense because Miami has had such good rhythm. And I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know if that's coming from him. I don't know if that's coming from the team. But are you surprised? Like, why would you break anything that's going on up? And even, guys, we talked about how everyone gives effort and everyone plays on defense and everyone plays such hard defense. Duncan Robinson is the worst defender on the team. They do try and hide him in the zone. It definitely helps to hide him in the zone. But he's still giving effort the entire time. But this is why you have him out there. This is why Spolstra, despite the guy not even being in the rotation at the end of the regular season, is out there at this point in the playoffs because he could single-handedly get hot and go to 10-0 run. He scores 10 points in a 14-2 run to start the fourth. Um, and then for the second time in the fourth quarter, I mean, this happened now. It happened in game four against LA, and it happened again in this series where Jokic gets a bad foul which was a foul, but he's upset about the call, and he comes down the other way, and he fouls again, just a frustration foul, and you're costing your team points, you're costing your team, you're you're hitting it, like, it's just, it's not good, and it feels like this is the second time that that's happened, and for a guy who's so great, he's got to control his emotions better. Against the Lakers, it was almost worse, even though they ended up winning the game, because it was his fourth and fifth fouls of the game, whereas here, it's just his second and third but when it came down to it, this was a one-possession game. And how many things can you look at in this game? This ends in a one-possession game. Think about the two three-point fouls, right, on the threes that KCP had, right? Like, that's not Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He's not known for doing that. Think about Jokic. There's that transition pass, which made me... I was cracking up when I saw it. Kevin Love throws an outlet pass to Bam on a bio. And you see Bam yelling, no, 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 because he sees Jokic running towards him. He's like, no, don't throw it to me. He's coming at me. He's going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you imagine seeing that guy that size running full speed ahead at you? But what ended up happening was he basically tackles him like a defensive back. And he ends up getting technical free throws out of it. They call a flagrant foul. He gets two free throws. They get the ball. So all of a sudden, there are these plays that all the 50-50 plays, all the plays that are swinging plays in a one-possession game always go Miami's way. And this is why you look at the Miami team and you're like, they're not as talented. They're not as gifted. They're not as skilled. They're not better than any of the teams they beat. And yet every single one, at some point, it's not luck that every single one of these 50-50 plays throughout the postseason goes their way. Um, so Butler comes back in because it was actually, uh, Jamal Murray gets off the bench to come back in and then immediately Spolstra goes to Butler because when you're on a 14 to two run, you're wondering, is Butler going to keep sitting? Like at this point, like, do you bring him back in? 
and they did. They decided to bring him back in. They're up five. There's eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and Miami has the lead 92-87. to And I'm curious. I'm wondering what's going to happen right now. Jimmy Butler, it's not often that you think the best player on the team, and you're wondering, is this the right move to bring him back in for crunch time, especially a guy like Butler who's shown so many times late in games that he could be that guy who takes over and, and goes out and wins you a game, essentially. And I was wondering if it was the right move. Clearly, it seemed like it was more of a defensive move because Spolstra waited. I mean, anytime there's a player who's on the bench, this is not a Jimmy Butler thing necessarily, because anytime there's a player on the bench and the team, the offense just looks like it's flowing really well, you are curious, do I bring this player back in? Especially when it's a guy who's as ball dominant as Jimmy Butler. It's nothing to do with him himself. Um, so I'm wondering, Spolstra, is he going to bring him back in? And you see him bring him back in specifically only once Jamal Murray comes back into the game. That's when he decides, I'm going to bring it back in. And immediately on the first possession, Jimmy Butler turns the ball over, just dribbles it off his foot, and it gets stripped and stolen. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going to be great. And then he comes back the other way, almost like, hey, I'm fine. You guys keep doing what you're doing, but I'm fine. He hits a three and then gets the three-point possession or the three-point play on a consecutive possessions on the set next possession. And it's like, okay, Jimmy Butler's fine. He's not going to ruin, quote-unquote, what we had going on. He's still awesome. He's a great player. Uh, Miami goes, or they, they actually are, are down. They score 19 points over the final eight minutes of the game since he came in. Um, Denver scored 21, so Miami lost. But the offense, the, the most important part is the offense kept moving. They kept playing 19 consecutive points, dominating the Denver defense. And if there's one weakness that Denver has, it's going to be their team defense. Their team defense is not great. We talked about Miami going through stretches of not scoring. That's when my, uh, Denver's going to have to take advantage. And at that point, Miami goes, they scored 19 points while Denver scores 21 over the last eight minutes of the game. Ultimately, Miami does win. Jamal Murray on the last possession. He almost ties it, right? They're down three. He gets the rebound. Um, he actually is specifically looking for Jimmy Butler on the switch, which was interesting also because you think Spolster bought him in for defense against Jamal Murray. And Jamal Murray is seeking him out. Another indication that maybe Jimmy is not 100% right now. Um, Spolster thought they'd go for the two. And that's why uh, with 16 seconds left and two timeouts, right? Denver has two timeouts and 16 seconds. So go for the two. He says, don't foul because, I, you know, they want the two anyway. So if they get two points, two quick points, they have still two more timeouts. They'll hope we miss free throws and they'll try and tie the game that way. Just extend the game. Um, Malone sees that and he doesn't use one of his timeouts. He's like, okay, I don't want Spolster to change his mind. I want to go one-on-one. They get the switch um, and Jamal Murray gets a good shot. It's a step back three, but it's a good open look over Jimmy Butler, um, and he just missed it. And that's it. That's how it ends. Miami takes game two. But think about this. Miami got off to an incredibly hot start, right? Um, up 11. They overcome a late push from Denver, and yet still it took a missed three at the buzzer for Denver to win this game. So I don't think this tells me that much more than we would have thought necessarily about this series. Like this game was incredibly close and it felt like Miami outplayed Denver by far. And yet at the end of the game, that three pointer goes down at the end of the game and it's a totally different game. It's a tie game. We're going overtime and who knows what happens. So like even with everything that Miami did in this game and all the positives we talk about for Miami, how they turned it around with Jokic off the floor in the fourth quarter, all these, the, the hot start early, the 10 points from, from Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo having another incredible offensive game, Jimmy Butler coming in and immediately scoring six straight points, um, Kevin Love starting and his impact. Even with all that, um, and obviously Michael Porter Jr. was awful in this game, and Miami forcing Jokic to be a scorer and not a passer, not a facilitator, with all that, it was a three-point loss. So, that kind of makes me still think I thought Miami would win a game in Denver and I thought Denver would still win in five. And I still feel the same way. Denver is the better team. Denver has proven they're the better team. Yes. It's their first loss at home since March, which is crazy, but it was bound to happen eventually. And I think they'll adjust. They'll figure out a way to adjust. Um, 
I don't know if that means Jokic is going to have to facilitate more, even if they're playing one-on-one. Look, Jokic is one of the smartest offensive players we've seen in a really long time. I'm sure he'll figure it out. That's not to say Spolstra isn't great at making adjustments in his own right. I just still think Denver talent-wise is so much better, but this is what we've been wrong about all playoffs long about Miami. So I'd be shocked if Miami won or at least won a few a couple games at home. Not really. Not that home court has been all that great for Miami as it is, um, right? Where they lose two games against Boston at home court in the last series. So we'll see if they can defend home court. Like I said, for Denver, it's their first loss at home. But now Denver in games that Nikola Jokic scores 40 plus points, Denver is 0-3. So if you wanted to know that, I didn't even know that number before yesterday. And I was like, yeah, of course, they. that's the goal. Make him shoot, make him shoot. Um, but just before I totally crap on Miami and what they've done, uh, it's just insane. They they continue to do this. They, think about this. They came back from down 15 in this game after the run that Denver went on in the second quarter. Denver was up 15. And here are the notable comebacks that the Heat have had just in this postseason alone. Game four against the Bucs, they were down 15-1. and one. Game five against the Bucs in round one, down 16-1. and one. Game one against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, down 12 and won that game. Game six against the Knicks at home, the clinching game, right? They were down 14 in that game and won that game. Obviously, game one in Boston, they were down 13. And game two in Boston, they were down 12. They won both of those games. And now game two in Denver, they won fi- they're down 15 and they come back. They never feel like they're out of a game. They never feel like it's too much to overcome. They always feel like they're right in it. And for a team that doesn't score for stretches, this is why they get down double digits so many times, which is now, I mean, count that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times where they're down 12 or more at any point during the game and then came back and won the game. Like it's because they never quit. It's because they trust their system. They trust their coach. They trust each other. And someone always steps up. And so while I said that I still think Denver is going to win in five, you got to give so much credit uh, to the Miami Heat and what they've done in this game and in this series uh, and throughout this postseason. Now, some other NBA news because game three is at home. The series shifts. I think it's game three and then it goes 1-1-1, meaning there's only one day in between the games. Uh, So I think this series picks off. I hate these two off days between games. I don't like it. Um, But that's how it's been so far. But game four or game three rather is on Wednesday. I think it's then Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and so on um, for the rest of the series, which will be at least five games as we know. Other NBA news, LeBron James, typical. LeBron James sees the finals. He sees his former team in Miami and Eric Spolstra. He sees his team that beat him and swept him. And people are saying he's the best player in the world in Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. And he's like, I'm not in the news enough. What am I going to do? Hmm. I'm going to leak, quote unquote, a story that I'm trying to work my way to Dallas to play with Luka and Kyrie Irving. Because, of course, who doesn't want to hitch their wagon to Kyrie Irving? I don't know what it is with that guy, but every superstar in the NBA who, I don't know, just wants to hitch their wagon to him. And what I love so much about LeBron, he was so enjoyable during the playoffs, right? With his press conferences, I thought were honest and cool and awesome. And then the second he gets removed from it and he's not being authentic anymore, all of a sudden he's just being the same corny guy who's like, yeah, I love Luca. I love what he does. No, you don't. And it's like the way he talks is all of a sudden different. It feels rehearsed. It feels, that was a terrible imitation of him, but my point was I was trying to do like something that sounded rehearsed. It just, he changes so much the second he's planning and he's plotting and it's what's made him so good in his career is that he's always planning and plotting and he always has the teams at his mercy because he wants the best roster and he wants to win and him being a a GM or whatever you want to call him is all part of his thing and part of what he does and it's part of his greatness but it's also so distasteful and so annoying to watch he went from so enjoyable carrying the team on his back playing 48 minutes in a game four at 40 years old year 20, everything, all those amazing things to just tipping his cap and saying, Jokic, credit to you. You're awesome. Mike Malone, credit to you. You're awesome. To then within five minutes, all of a sudden he's like, I might retire. You know, basically holding the the Lakers over it saying, I might retire if you don't bring me back to, I'd love to play with Luca. I'd love to play with Kyrie in Dallas. All of a sudden he goes back to that plotting and just becomes so distasteful. We'll have an entire off season to talk about those storylines talk about what's happening in Boston and they brought in an assistant coach to help out with Joe Missoula, which was the expected thing. Obviously, if they would have gotten swept, maybe then Missoula gets fired. But this obviously seemed to be the right pivot to um, help Missoula out with an assistant coach who 
has experience specifically in Boston under Doc Rivers. Um, so a lot to talk about. There'll be plenty to talk about during the offseason, the draft, free agency, the new CBA, so much to talk about. And I don't have anything else to talk about because I'm not allowed to talk baseball. But I said I wanted to record on Monday. I usually release the podcast on Monday. I didn't release it on Monday because I was at an event. I started working um, with Keith McPherson. You know, it's so interesting. And this is where I talk about how there's something. There's a divine intervention. There's some sort of higher power because how could it be that like I'm working for MLB, I get this offer at MLB and I'm able to transfer within WFAN. And then there's this guy, Keith McPherson, who works at MLB and then also works at WFAN. And yes, I reached out to him. I'd been in touch with him in the past and he's an on-air host at both places. And now he followed me on TikTok a couple of months ago and likes my stuff. And he's like, hey, cool, let's work together. Like, what are the odds of that happening? And it's been so many times um, that it feels like I've been able to do that and have something like that almost quote unquote fall into my lap. And um, I'm just appreciative that these things keep happening and I make them happen for myself in a lot of ways, but there's also obviously something, you know, if you believe in God, there's some sort of um, orchestrating going on out there. That's beyond me because sometimes it just feels too perfect. And uh, last night I, he invited me to an event to work with him. Uh, He's back on the fan tonight in New York City, WFAN after the Yankee game. Um, and he invited me to a Yankee event. Yankees had an off day with Paul O'Neill last night in New Jersey. So I drove down there. Um, it was super cool. It was awesome. I love those days. I always talk about when it's a hustle, when, you know, you have a busy day. And then I drove all the way down there. And then I had to <laughs> I had to work for MLB when that was over. So because I was working one of the later games for baseball. I love those days. Those are the days that make me feel fulfilled and make me feel like, hey, I want to do this. But Keith is awesome. He's an authentic guy. He's a guy who also talks about his career, talks about where he came from you know, recognize where you came from, where you're trying to go, um, and where you are today. Look at how far you've come, appreciate how far you've come and always set goals for yourself. It's what I try to do. And I always tell people, if you want, if you want to go do something that you want to do, whether it's in this industry in sports or in any industry, set your mind to end, talk to me, give me a call, reach out to me, text me, DM me. People have done that over the last couple of weeks have been reaching out to me for help, advice, specifically in this industry or other industries. And I love it. I, the best thing I can do for so many people who have helped me to get to this point, like Keith, uh, the best thing I can do is pay it forward. Uh, Paul O'Neill was an awesome guy. He was super chill. He was fun. I don't know how much of that I'm, I'm allowed to talk about. Also baseball related topic, but um, Don Orsillo followed me on Twitter, who's one of my favorite favorite all-time broadcasters even though he broadcasts for the Red Sox for so long um that would be like a dream interview for me to have Don Orsillo on my podcast Don if you're listening to this just saying that um, I'm a huge Yankee fan he was the broadcaster for the Red Sox for so long but he's he's one of the best and both his calls are so on point when it's a big moment but yet he's so much fun and lighthearted when it's you know those middle innings in a game in August that you need to pass the time um, his stories and just having fun and not taking himself too seriously. He's he's one of the he's he's the perfect broadcaster in my opinion. There are other great ones, but he's really one of the most perfect broadcasters there are in the game today. And he just followed me on Twitter uh, because I tweeted out um, like this play was made in a lab for me. The Manny Machado falling. I remember the first time I saw it in person. Um, I saw Manny Machado throwing from from foul territory across the diamond and it was against the angels uh and he was playing for the orioles and i was sitting behind him play and i saw it up close i was like oh my god i was my mind was blown um so when he did it again last night with Orsillo on the call um i was just like this is this play was made in the lab for me uh it's perfect and um this is so much baseball talk hopefully no one's listening um and so i tweeted that and he followed me uh but like i said if somebody wants to reach out please, I, I want to help people. I want to pay it forward. And the only thing I ask in return is continue to share and like the podcast and share it with other people because that's how I get to, I where, to where I want to go. And the more I advance, the more I can help other people. That's really what I want to do. I know there's no blueprint in this industry um, or any industry where you want to follow your dreams where it's a creative, being creative. I was talking to my mother about this yesterday. Being creative is a gift and a curse. And I feel like I have this creation, creative side of me. I have something to share. I have something that's worth sharing. Um, and I feel like this burning urge that I need to share it. And if I didn't share it, I wouldn't feel fulfilled. And so I have to do it, even though it's the road that's a little bit more difficult. That's not as easy, but that's, that's how you get places. I don't know. It's not always easy. Um, but like I said, if you pay back to me by liking, sharing this, um, so I could get to where I want to go, I'd love to, the best thing I could do. Part of the reason I do this podcast is to leave a blueprint for me to remember where I came from. 
um, but also for other people to uh, follow along. So uh, that's all I got for today. Until next time, please like, subscribe, share. Um, I appreciate you guys so much for listening. Um, and until next time, peace. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. I see your subway cars and your old graffiti. I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 Always on my road, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside, see the birds flying on the high line. With the sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July. I want the Yankees '99, yeah. and the Knicks on a sold out night. When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive, hey. I need your heartbeat close. Don't you ever leave me? And I breathe your air when I land in another city. And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it, oh, oh, oh Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only, oh, oh, oh that I'll ever know oh, oh, My country, oh, 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 I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised, I was I used to hit them courtyard and prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire state of mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding And I'm still New York I'm still here.